Hello and welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone that has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This show is about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we're going to be talking to Tom Jepson, who is a freelance designer and usability expert. And uh, the reason I like this interview is because he's a freshly minted freelancer. He's like a few months into his journey. Yeah, it's good to good to hear the start of the journey as well as the end, isn't it? Yeah, so I thought it'd be quite good to sort of uh, talk to him because a lot of the feelings around starting up his own company are quite raw still, which is good because that's kind of, you know, the people that do make that jump. Yeah, you know, I think, they, I think gonna... this is um, a good cue for people that are looking to start out and just seeing what that first part of the journey is like and obviously that decision from going, you know, from salaried employee to doing your own thing, you know, I think it's a good a good introduction, isn't it? Yeah, so it was a brilliant chat. Um, unfortunately, Kevin couldn't make it to this one because he was busy hustling. Busy hustling, yeah, sorry, his, uh, I make still it being calculator. I'm making this one, but, but hopefully I'll do, do more in future. So um, I will just say to the audience, I've got a bit of a croaky voice in this one. I sound a bit like Tom Jones or... Uh, <laughs> is, is that American singer, the soul singer? Is it, is it Barry, Barry White? Barry White, yeah. yeah I sound a bit yeah. like Barry White who's been gargling gravel because I was just getting over a throat infection at the time. So if I sound a bit gruff, <laughs> okay, okay, well, that's why. But let's uh, let's uh, roll the tape. Okay. Hello, and I am here today from Antenna in Nottingham, which is a co-working space and business hub, restaurant and bar. And we are currently in the bar at the moment, and we're going to be interviewing Tom Jepson, who's a uh, recent convert to the uh, world of working for yourself. Indeed. So how are you doing, Tom? I'm good, Steve. Man, how are you? I'm very good. Excellent. So just. Let everyone know. Me and Tom did actually used to work together probably, what, a couple of years ago? Yeah, about eight, it was. 18 months, two years ago. Yeah, so the last job I was at was a startup in Nottingham. Tom was a sort of UX designer. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, lead design for the buying butler arm. Yeah, so we, uh, so we have history. We do have <laughs> history indeed. We've been down the road together. But what I want to talk about today is the fact that you have now taken the plunge yourself into freelancing. I have, I have recently, form, formally recently. Formally? Uh, yeah. So do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and what it is yeah, you do? Yeah, for sure, man. So uh, I am Tom Jepson. I am a freelance designer. Um, I don't categorise myself. <laughs> I don't categorise myself in any particular bracket or box. So I'm a freelance designer, uh, problem solver, uh, which is my day job. Okay. Um, I am a musician as well. I am a coffee enthusiast. I am a parent. Um, probably I, the hardest job of them all. Probably the hardest right? job of them all. Yeah, we have we have our own unique set of challenges with that. Uh, kind of a um, special needs parent, so we have kind of that dynamic at home as well. Yeah, um, which is also one of the reasons for moving into freelance work. Kind of, ah, some more freedom. A lot more freedom and yeah. flexibility. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've been officially doing this since February. February the first was my first day of freelancing as a day job. Okay. Um, we're recording this towards the end of March. So, yeah, yeah, so we've, we're about two months in now. It's the thick of it, and it's going. I'm happy to say, I feel like it's going well. Brilliant. So it's fair to say you, you think you have made the right choice. I have undoubtedly made the right choice. That is good. That is good. So what, the reason I thought it'd be an interesting interview is because when you go to work for yourself, kind of the emotions that you go through at the time of doing it can be sort of quite intense. You know, have I made the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? And you're kind of in, in that sort of zone now so I thought yeah. it'd be really interesting because a lot of our um, listeners are people that you know have side projects potentially that they've been working on whilst working for another company 
And sometimes they, you know, they're thinking to themselves, do I actually want to go and do this full time? And making that decision, that mental leap to go and do something full time is terrifying, as you probably know yourself. It is. It's, um, it's like standing on the edge of a cliff. Yeah. Uh, and it's a, you know, it's a bit of a trite metaphor, but uh, analogy. But it is. It's, it's, you are taking a leap, uh, a massive leap of faith that you have you know, your confidence in yourself more than anything that you can deliver on what you think you want to do. Um, as you say, terrifying. It was very terrifying, but it certainly was for me. Yeah, I think I had, uh, when, I, when, I, when I left my, my last full-time position, um, it was the right time to go. And I think when you're working for somebody else and you know that it's not a good fit for you or that you've it's run its course, yeah. you know when it's the time to go. And I reached that point when that was the cutoff and I knew that I had to get out. It didn't feel right to go and work for anyone else. Yeah. Deep down, gut feel told me that working for somebody else wasn't gonna do it for me anymore. And the only way that I think I could have found satisfaction in the work that I wanted to do was to do it for myself. Okay. So was it events that happened at your last company which pushed you into it or was it, or was it just coincidental? Uh, it was driven by events. Okay. at my previous uh, employment um, and it's one of the reasons that kind of drove me into into freelancing was that honestly I was sick of watching people making bad decision after bad decision which was impacting me directly professionally personally um, and my colleagues as well and I'd, I, I didn't want to be part of that anymore I didn't want to be not in a, it, I felt like a contributor to that because you can't, if you're in an employment, like if you're employed for somebody else and you're not running the company, you're not signing the checks, no amount of effort is really going to help you make a change yeah. to how that business is running. And I felt like a contributor at that point where I was kind of going, well, my actions aren't really going to be changing this, so let's yeah, go. It's quite a common thing. It's very hard to derive meaning in your work and you have yeah. control over it. That's it. No matter how much you try, because it takes a lot of willingness from, from managers and leaders to accept who you are as much as what you do. Um, and as you say, to, to allow you to derive the right kind of meaning and impact from the work that you want to do for you as much as for a business. Because so. I guess with, with the line of work that you do, I mean, you're very, it's a very sort of creative focused role. So I guess if you don't have, I, mean, I guess a lot of it's personality driven as well, isn't it? So if you don't have that sort of level of control and it kind of conflicts with your style. That's maybe. it. And I mean, I, d I don't really have a particular style of working. And I think that's, you, you could say it's a USP of sorts, I guess. I don't have a method or a, a particular process that I follow. But control, interesting, can you mentioned that is definitely one of the reasons why I moved into freelancing okay. and it's not from a, a domineering perspective that I need to have all the control of the work but I need to feel like I'm in control of situations and controlling who I work with um, and helping other people control their output yeah. at the end of the day as much as me just controlling the graph that I'm doing day to day um, it's not all about being, being creative I'm doing great big air quotes now uh, it's not all about that being a really big creative designer, but it's just yeah. about the value in the output and the value in the input into someone else's uh, into someone else's business. So, what, what does a day to day look like for you now? So, are you, are you working on creative projects for yourself, or do you sort of go out into other companies? And I'm doing that? both okay. things. Um, at the moment, I've got a I've got a long term project with a long term 
a fixed term project that I'm working on for somebody, okay. um, which is really good. It's kind of a product based project. So I'm helping a client develop a new thing, which is brilliant. That's my kind of work. So going from the the idea through to delivery. Okay. Um, I am working with a few other clients on workshop based uh, kind of systems and scenarios. So we're doing discovery sessions, we're doing design sprints, we're doing collaborative design sessions, okay. um, all around digital products. So I guess in that aspect, that's not necessarily about you doing the design work, it's helping to coax ideas out of people. It's a lot of helping coaxing things out of other people's heads. And one of the best things about being a freelancer is you don't need to be an expert in anyone else's business. Yeah. You just need to, our founders, you just need to know how to do you and how to help other people get that information out. Okay. So when you um, when you got to the point where you decided that you were going to leave your previous job and go freelance, did you have any of these kind of projects and clients already lined up or did you just do a sort of a leap into the dark and then, then try and find people? I pre-prepared. Pre-prepared? I pre-prepared. I knew that going into this, I couldn't mess around. Right. Um, it was the well, it was the third time that I'd made a significant step forward in my career yeah. at that point. And I think... Uh, the family's tolerance of me saying I can't do this thing whatever it was I need to go do something different I was yeah. wearing a bit thin so I knew at that point I couldn't mess around right okay um, so I had I've always said that if I'm whatever I'm going to do I'm going to throw myself into it 100% so probably a month before I started I, I'd give myself the cut off date I'd started teeing up people to talk to okay and I'd said I'm going to stand at the front I'm going to wave my arms loudly and I'm just going to put myself out there and it's going to be all about me I'm going to make sure people know that I'm coming I want to talk to them and I'm I'm going to be ready to go on day one so it's not a case of I've stepped off the cliff what the hell do I do it's it's day one let's go that's a good lesson for anyone considering going freelancing is uh, get some of your gigs lined up beforehand definitely get it anything even start a conversation even if you've not got anyone signed on the dotted line on day one start the conversations And a lot of the time, people don't come to you. It's nice to be thought of, in, you know, when people are considering designers or developers or consultants. It's nice to be thought of, but people won't come to you. Yeah. Ninety-nine percent of the time, you need to be grafting on finding the work okay. and finding and putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Because um, a lot of I've, what I've found in the last few weeks it's just a conversation with somebody it's not a pitch and it's not an interview it's a conversation yeah and you need to be in the right place at the right time to have that conversation rather than someone going oh yeah I remember that Tom's a freelancer we'll get in touch with him so I guess coming to places like um, Antenna which is like a co-working space and kind of like a business hub is a really sort of useful thing for you to do as well it is I've not uh, I've not kind of had any major interactions with anyone here but as a space to come and meet my clients here it's great yeah and it exposes them to this world of freelance and which kind of has a bit of i guess a bit of a mystery and a mystique around it yeah he's a freelance designer what does he do oh he hangs out in coffee shops all day and makes things it's actually no i'm i'm running a business yeah i'm in a space where we're going to come and in a coffee shop with a nice cup of coffee in a coffee shop with a nice cup of coffee (laughs) um but it's it's uh, having these kind of co-working spaces that are very much business focused it's helpful 
you know, they have events and they have, you know, I'm sure I could probably go and tap someone on the shoulder and say, hey, you know, you look interesting, you want to have a cup of coffee? Yeah. I'm sure there's maybe 10 people and they probably wouldn't mind that. Um, but so yeah, having, having the spaces is good. So do you spend majority of your time working from home then or are you, you out on customer sites? I want to be remote 95% of my time okay. because, um, and this is a lot down to me personally as much as the work that I want to do. Um, I, I find it quite, sometimes I find it quite difficult getting out of the house in the morning. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's been contributory to a lot of the changes that I've made in, in my work over the last five, six, seven years. Um, so I'm trying to support my own mental health in yeah. the work as much as anything. So I do work at home a lot. I've got a dedicated space set up. It's only a desk with an yeah. iMac on it, but it's a dedicated space where I show up for work in the morning. Um, I come to Antenna because yeah. you know, I've paid for it, so I might as well be here. And I get out and I go to the coffee shops in town because it is healthy and it's good to be around people. And I think that's a kind of freelancer syndrome that you can end up being very siloed. Yeah, I, I found that. I mean, I worked from home probably solidly for nine months and I started getting cabin really? fever. But I enjoyed it. it was, you know, like where I live, and it had a good working space. But yeah. I started, even though I didn't miss working for someone else, I missed the routine. That's the thing, you, you have to show up, right? Yeah. You, even if you're, you're working at home, I would never say I work from home. I just working at home that day. Yeah. And I think the, the naming of these things is very, very important. Because um, people say to me, oh, you just, you just you work from home all the time. It's like, no, I'm a freelance designer who works remotely. Yeah. The positioning of this is very important. I think, as you say, for your own kind of mental space. And so to you kind of maybe avoid the cabin fever every now and again. You've yeah, shown up to work. You know, if I was really busy on something and then, you know, like the kids come home from school, kind of trying to make that switch from this is me at work to this is me you know, being a parent yeah sometimes that it kind of got blurred it does uh, you, you do have to make those uh, routine changes and it is it's a, it's, a, it's a routine change I think it's a behavioural change and people who see you at home working the kids come home and they go oh I'm just going to go and see what dad's doing around the corner you have to say no yeah I'm working I'm, uh, I'm doing this thing for someone else to keep the lights on right now mm. Um, and eventually that becomes the routine and working time is working time and family time is family time. Yeah, because in the end I started using a co-working space um, out in Cromford, so it's just up on the A6. Okay. So I rented a fixed desk there for about three, four months and then the opportunity of an office came up and it wasn't yeah. actually that much more than what I was paying for a fixed desk. That's really good. So I was like, yep, yeah, I love it. That's so now great. I'll probably spend, you know, three, four days a week I'll work from there and then the other one or two days I'll work at home or that's really I'm on, good. Or on the road quite a lot. I mean, I'm away next week at a conference. I'll be away for a week. Yeah, it's good to have the option, isn't it? Just to, if you set yourself up as a, a, a business on your own right, it's good to have the fluidity and the flexibility yeah. to, to, to be where you want to be, you know. But as you say, it's, it's good to have that routine of showing up for work. You show yeah. up, you do things, you feel good about what you're doing in a space that makes you feel good. So if that's antenna if it's home if it's an office that you're renting mm. you know you just need that space to show up and keep the routine absolutely so now that you're a few months in sort of have, do you think your feelings have changed towards working for yourself and what they were when you first started yeah definitely 
Um, as I said kind of at the outset, I have no question that this was the right thing to do. Um, it's going to be a slog. And I said that, you know, it will be 18 months before I think I start being good at doing the, the soul business thing. Yeah. Um, when I first started, I kind of got to the, the first of Feb and that was it. That was me. I went, great, I'm doing this now. Um, I'd been confident going up to that point, I think maybe because I was still employed by somebody else. Yeah. I'd had that kind of safety net, but as soon as that's taken away, day one, great, we're going. Day two, all right, it's definitely you. Yeah. And it was a roller coaster um, of getting an email from somebody saying, great, I want to work with you, to what on earth am I doing? I have no confidence in the skills that I've got. You know, I don't know how to talk to people anymore. Yeah. And it was trying to get those big mental shifts um, into just being being me, being a freelancer, being a, a sole trader, being a, a business yeah. in the own right. When I've spoken to other freelancers before, I mean, imposter syndrome seems to be quite a, a real thing that can kick in after all. I mean, you, you know, someone who could have you know years and years of experience really knows there's a thing. Yeah. But then, yeah, about a month in, they think, am I qualified to be doing this? 100%. Am I, um, should I be talking to these people? 100%. It's, it's, I don't think you can get around that. I spoke to people about the imposter syndrome uh, debate in the past. Some people think it's a thing. Other people deny it altogether and they just say, well, you've just got to go through it. And it's, it isn't. I think everyone doubts and everyone, everyone feels flawed at one point or another and I think yeah. you can't get away from it and that's and that's okay. Well, I think the more formal version of it is it um the moment is it Dunning Kruger syndrome? Yes. Yeah. So where, where people who are not very skilled kind of overstate their confidence. Hundred percent. And people who are very confident well who are very skilled completely downplay their own confidence. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think I've I've definitely found that doing the kind of work which I've actually ended up doing which isn't quite what I thought I'd be pitching to people okay. um, I'll go and get in a room with my client's client or client's customer to run a discovery workshop with them yeah. and up to that point where I open the door to this customer's office in the back of my head I'm constantly going do you, do you really know what you're going to do with this? I've planned yeah. I've prepared I've got slide decks I've got resources and up to the point of opening my mouth, I've got the little nag. But as soon as you open your mouth, the first words come out, hi, I'm here to run this workshop with you yeah. today. You're in, you're on, and it kicks in, your muscle memory kicks in, and you know what you're doing. I'm, I'm exactly the same, I mean, it's like with public speaking, I've been doing that for nearly five years now. Mm. That hour before you go on stage, especially if it's a big conference, yeah. you're pacing up and down thinking, what the hell have I done? 100%. I mean, why, I, why am I here? They're going to find me out. Yeah, it's, oh, it's that, isn't it? It's, am, I, am I meant to be doing this? Do I know enough? Is it going to be convincing? I remember doing a, a gig years ago, good decade ago, and we were the band and I were going to go on stage right. and literally up to the point where we got on stage I could not remember the first eight bars of the song we were going to play first oh. I could not in my head I couldn't work out what we were going to be doing what we were going to be playing and I was blocked 
but you sit down and you go, we got this, and you start. And that's the thing, you just have to start. Absolutely, I mean, I always over-rehearse the first five minutes. Yeah. Because once you get into that sort of first, that bit of first bit of flow. Yeah, you're in and you, okay. it just rolls on, doesn't it? And you, you forget that you cannot actually prepare for everything. Mm. And you can't, you can't dictate how something is gonna go when you're in the, in the flow of it, if you're doing a piece of design work, you know, doing a piece of visual work or something, I can follow a method, you know, I'm gonna create lo-fi things, do some research, do some hi-fi, but the, the arc of that process is never gonna be the same twice. Doing a workshop, I can prepare an agenda for how it goes on the day. Yeah. You just don't know, do you? It, it depends on the room, it depends on- the room, I mean, um, I've, I've done some workshops where, um, they're more sort of factory notes of me at the front teaching mm. style workshops. And normally they're absolutely fine, but you always get that one person sometimes who comes in and is like, well, actually. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah. I love them. The, the well, actually people. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're fun. They're fun. But it's, uh, it's all part and parcel of the experience, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I've done, just in the last few weeks, I've done discovery sessions for people who really know their field and there's four or five of them in the room and they're you know all MBAs right then reining it right back to doing a one-on-one -on -one discovery session with somebody and trying to take my experience of running those kind of activities and making them appropriate for this one person so okay. it's all about being a bit dynamic with it and uh, just having fun having fun with it and as I say you, everyone can do it when you get into it you know what you're doing I know is the key thing isn't it is it it's fun whereas you know a lot of people say you know oh, oh, I hate Mondays or I go into the office and, but it's actually Monday's my favourite day yeah mine too I'm I'm so into it now I think it feels like I've been doing this for a very very long time and maybe in my own head I actually have been right I don't know because um, I, I started freelancing Probably back in 2011. Okay. Doing side gigs, you know. Oh, so, you've been, so you've been doing side gigs for. I've been doing a while, side gigs yeah. for a long time. So, so it wasn't doing, completely new. No, not at all. So doing branding work for people, doing the odd website. Right. You know. So maybe in my head, I'd always had that there. Okay. Um. Yeah, Monday. Monday's a good day generally. It's you get in, you've got something fresh to tackle. You're carrying on with someone's project, hmm. and because you're controlling the amount of work you do the hours you work you know you will hopefully have given yourself a little bit of a break before coming into that yeah. so do you find then sort of as, as a freelancer your hours aren't rigid nine to five they, they no. could be a lot more fluid absolutely not i i i work when i want to work yeah um and that's not to say i shirk the responsibility of doing graft for people because it's not all conversation it's not all you know doing pitches and proposals there's a lot of graft yeah to this and it's all on you you, me, um, but I have a routine, you know, and I'll come to work in the morning. I get up, I get showered, get my kids out the door to school, and I go to work. Yeah, that, that was a key thing for me is maintaining that routine. Yeah, so because I started breaking the routine, even though I was working from home, you know, working hard, you kind of don't really have that fixed routine. So mm. oh, I'll just go and have a cup of coffee. I'll just go watch the news for half an hour. That's it. You know, there's no. Uh, it, it got to a point where I was sitting on the sofa with my laptop working, 
but then over a space of six weeks I managed to do like 11 seasons of Big Bang Theory at the same time I was like this isn't right it's, it isn't is it because you, you wouldn't do that anywhere else yeah. and I, I know it's good for some people some people can do it and some people do want to do it like that but you know I it doesn't work for me yeah it doesn't work for me I might only do sort of three hours of a morning where I've hit on my admin and I go eh, let's go for a walk yeah let's go to the gym you know, let's go and do something for me for an hour. That, that's, a, that's a good um, good segue, actually, because something me and Kevin have talked about on the show is, um, we've, we've talked about lots of different types of wellness, so obviously financial fitness and financial wellness, but also sort of mental and physical fitness as well. Yeah. Because it can be very easy to slip into habits where you're just sitting on your ass all day. Yeah, completely. Doing nothing. And obviously what I was saying about feeling isolated working from home. So what are your thoughts around sort of uh, mental and physical fitness? Physical fitness, I have to work very hard at that, but I do it because I know it's beneficial. Um, I get out to the gym a couple of times a week. Yeah. I will go into town, or you know, living exceedingly close to town, I'll go and do a circuit of town and go back home. It's yeah. only half an hour, okay. but I'm out in the fresh air. It's it's good for the body, gets you moving. Um, it adds a little bit of routine as well. If you say at 12 o'clock every day, I'm going to just get up from my desk, go for half an hour walk. Yeah. Um, removes you from the screen. But it's good for the mind as well. Um, and I mean, I have struggled significantly. And I'm only realizing this now um, after over a decade of, of being in a kind of design industry. Um, and, you know, probably. 15 plus years of being actually at work uh, realising that I mean I have had significant kind of mental health challenges that I had not acknowledged when I was younger right. and I didn't do enough to look after myself with that um, I am now mm. uh, I have acknowledged it and I know that it's something that I need to be mindful of yeah. because the more I look back over the work that I've done for the various companies in formal design roles as a freelancer, as a contractor, some of the things I could have done better. Hmm. Just, and I think it was because I wasn't looking after myself. So going into this work as a freelancer, I know that if I'm not good in myself physically, if I'm not feeling very good, my head doesn't feel right. I can't do good work for anyone else. So right. you just got to look after, you know. Look so after it kind of brings one. it more to the forefront because. Whereas when you work for a company, it is possible to kind of sort of hide out the way a little bit. You can, you can drift into the background a little bit. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, that's detrimental as well. Because you'll get to a point where, with some people, they, they are so broken down. And I have found this in the past, where I've been so broken by the work because it wasn't a good fit, I wasn't enjoying the work, I wasn't enjoying the company, that I had put myself out of the spotlight. Mm. And when it all went wrong, because it did there were a couple of I've had a couple of occasions in the last you know decade where it has gone gone explosively wrong right uh, that I think probably looking back at it retrospectively some of that was on me it wasn't always about the business but I'd not done enough to make people aware that I was struggling right okay um, and so that is definitely something now going into this freelance work being the business being the face being the brand Got to look after yourself to make Absolutely. sure you can uphold that. that because it's not all about just getting work you are you know it it can take a decade to build up reputation and a minute to destroy it yeah and if you let yourself go 
everyone has a bad day and I'm to anyone kind of listening I will never say to them you're not entitled to have a rough day because everyone does and you have to be mindful of that in yourself but to the same degree if you feel like you're having a bit of a rough day try not to put yourself in a position where you could reflect that onto the work you're doing or the person you're dealing with because you have no safety net and you don't want to risk you know damaging a client relationship because of something that is either in or out of your control so it's just being mindful of, of that and I guess you've done a lot of discovery work with customers there's probably a lot of um, ongoing business relations there, so it's not just necessarily one off it's it. not one off no and this is this is the thing that I've found um, partly through having to be in the right place at the right time to get the work um, it is all about maintenance and yeah. working with those clients even if you're not doing a project with them right now you check in with them and you try and keep it going because you know so if you're the person who's done the discovery session for a particular project and you've done the deliverable around that handing them the insights and helping them do their next bit of work you know that works and hopefully they're going to come back to you and say hey could you come and help us out with the next phase of this project as well so it is about that ongoing relationship so as you onboard more customers then hopefully it'll just start to sort of snowball yeah fingers crossed but snowball to the point where you actually start having to say no Funnily enough, that, in the that's, last, when, that's when you know it's, uh, it's yeah, going well. Yeah, I mean, in the last in the last couple of months, I mean, so I'm doing this for two months as my as my day job. I have actually had to turn down some work, right. and I never thought I would get to that point in two months. I thought that I might hit my break even after a three months. Yeah, um, but I've actually had to turn down some work. That's um, quite good. You got to that point in a few months. When I got to that with within probably what a year and a half because mm. you, you kind of go through this mindset it's like well I can't say no to anything I just have to say yes to everything yeah so you say yes you say yes then you end up completely um, overwhelmed with the amount this of work you've got to do um, and that again that's not healthy that's not healthy for the work it's not healthy for the client relationship and it's definitely not healthy for you yeah um, yeah I mean as I said I had to say no to something because of the, the kind of work that I'm now getting into is very much uh, being with people when I'm doing the, the discovery sessions they're not currently remote sessions they're in-person sessions okay and if I'm with someone else I can't go and do someone else's discovery session or, or you know so do you find a lot of your customers sort of fairly local to the Nottingham area yeah sort of spreading out a bit the the main ones I have right now are within the East Midlands um, I'm hoping and this is kind of the, the three year goals you know you have to sort of look forward yeah i'm hoping that at, within the next 18 months to three years i can be working with people wherever they are mm. you know if somebody in the states wants to do some work let's work overnight it's only time well this, this is a good thing with the sort of freelance and sort of gig economy as it were mm. countries and borders kind of start to become irrelevant they do i mean time zones everything is they're just a a thing you know I I do a fair amount with a a company in Norway Mm. and it's like you know you have conversations with them as if they were just next door to you that's it it's the slack it's Skype it's on the phone yeah I think one of the the best things that when we were talking about kind of isolation um, just being able to pick up the phone when I have I have a pre-arranged call with a client you know once a week just being able to pick up the phone have a talk to them for an hour yeah that's great and we catch up and we've been sharing notes back and forth but we have that conversation and it doesn't matter where he is or where I am we're still talking yeah um, 
you know, so I'm currently working out how to do better remote work for the things that I would deem to be my product, mm. I guess, uh, because I can't be everywhere at once, but to the same degree, I don't want to be turning down work just because I can't get somewhere. So are there specific tools that you found that you start to use to sort of make that easier? Um, I'm still exploring the, the connectivity side of things. I mean, I use Slack, I use Trello um, as the kind of the communication tools. Um, I use a system called Notion to kind of run my business, which is a bit of a Trello-like system. It's got that functionality in it, but it's kind of a fluid note-taking thing. Okay, so is, it, is it more of a task management? Yeah, it's got everything. Okay. It's got everything. Uh, I will I will hype that software till okay. the end of time. It's cheap as chips, and it, it's really good to keep all your thoughts in one place, keep your tasks in one place. And, right. That's called Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll stick a link in the show notes. For Definitely. Um, I'll, uh, I'll send a referral link out for that. <laughs> um, oh, okay, yep. But yeah, I'm still exploring the, the ways and means to, to conduct things like workshops remotely. Um, okay. Because it's something that can be done. I know there are companies doing it. Uh, there's a company uh, in Belgium who are the design sprint people, right. a company called AJ and Smart, who have kind of pitched their their core offer is running design sprints for people, and they do it around the world. You know, they have, they're big enough to be able to post people in the states or in Australia or anywhere to go and do these sprints, but they're still working on doing it remotely as well, and that's where I want to get to um, to do these kind of this work and this reach wherever it might need to go yeah, to. You know? Being able to sort of go off and travel to different places is so incredibly rewarding. Completely. I mean, and that's something that is not quite a luxury that I'm afforded right now, um, yeah. given the, the family dynamic. Um, but it's not a blocker. Yeah. It's not a blocker. It's just something to be man- mindful of, you know? Yeah, well, I find I have to be very careful how I spread, spread out doing conferences. Because yeah. last year it got a bit... Ridiculous. You were round and about, weren't you? You were all, all over the shop. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's getting to be a bit that way this year. I'm trying to spread things out. So, whereas last year, if anyone invited me to a conference, I'm like, well, they've invited me. I've not had to apply. Yeah. And say yes. Whereas this year, I've, I've, you know, I've turned down about six conferences so wow. far. Just because, you know, I'd like to do them. And potentially, I could do them, but mm. I, I kind of had to be mindful. I mean, May this year is a bit, a bit touch and go. I'm away for about three weeks of May. Okay. Yeah. Do you find that? as in being a business for yourself, um, that you gravitate towards the sort of work that you want to do, or you're just, like, someone invites you to a conference, do you kind of have the same broad kind of thing that you go and talk to them about? Or yeah, do, I mean, do you um, vary it? I tend to talk around sort of software development and security is kind of one area. Well, that's kind of one area that I'm known for the most. But I tend to do a lot of sort of soft skills and personal development stuff as well. Yeah. Because the courses I do on Pluralsight, I've got, you know, I try to do a mixture of courses. Because if you try and do the latest cutting edge software, you'll get a big spike in viewership and then it will drop off very quickly. Yeah. Because technologies go out of date. That's it. So I try to do more evergreen content that's got that's got longevity. Definitely. Is I that, and I reflect that in my talks as well. That's good. I mean, is that the sort of thing that you thought you would be doing when you started? Or were you pitching um, around the kind of a... Yeah, it was. Cause, I mean, the, the last company we both worked at together, yeah. um, I had it written into my contracts that I would go and do conferences, but, but representing the company. Yeah. Which was great. So I did that. 
to one point where I was, wasn't in the office that much. Yeah. I said, well, this is in my contract. This is what you've asked me to do. This is it. You're rapping, right? Yeah. You're, you're wanting me to, you know, portray the company on the global stage. That's it. I mean, now you're doing it for yourself, you know. As no, no, now I'm doing it for myself. I mean, in terms of, is it what I was expecting to be doing? Um, yes, it was, because my biggest customer was Pearl Society. Yeah. I was working with them for about three years before I quit anyway. Mm. So I kind of had that kind of built up and sort of brewing in the background. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something that I was thinking about the kind of work you wanted. It's something that I found that these workshops and this discovery and this conversation I hadn't actually considered that as part of the, the graph I was going to do. Okay, so that kind of came afterwards? It came afterwards, yeah. So, so what did you expect to be doing? I thought I would be doing wireframe designs for people who needed something taken from their development team or their, their okay. product team handing over to developers. I thought I'd be doing website designs for people. I thought I'd be doing little branding projects all so, so the time. So taking the slack off of uh, big, yeah. bigger teams. <clears throat> and. Um, turns out I mean that has been a request um, but it's actually my f I found it much harder to get into that than to approach kind of the offer of going and helping somebody start their project yeah uh, that that's been more accessible to me okay. um, and actually a hell of a lot more enjoyable for me personally than doing the the grindy parts of design, yeah. so doing the wireframing and doing the UI. I guess from a, from a company's point of view, right, I've, I've just been doing a course on, well, writing a course on innovation for Pluralsight, mm. so I've been kind of in, in this area quite a bit recently, and I think the benefit of having someone like yourself go into a company is you're not going to be directly invested in that project, so you, yeah. you, know, you haven't got the skin in the game, as it were. Yeah. You know, People, yeah, you know, people tend to have ideas and they get very attached to their ideas. They really to do to the point where it blindsides them. Yeah. Whereas an external facilitator going in to help with this, so you have no invested interest in it apart from delivering the piece of work you've been asked to deliver. That's it. You know, I take it. Uh, I take it very seriously, and I'm, I'm personally invested in doing good work for people when they ask for something to be done. Yeah. But as you say, there's no skin in the game, and. I know that I have to help them achieve a goal. And if that means me bursting somebody's bubble, I will do it. Yeah. Um, and not because I am mean, but because I have to do it to make sure they get what they need, not what they want. And that's, I think, a tough realization that if you want to be successful as a designer, and this is not coming from two months of freelancing but coming from a decade of working yeah. across the industry you need to learn how to communicate well and you need to learn how to kind of articulate the decisions you're making based on what people do need whether or not it may cause a bit of friction it's a bit, you know, a bit of friction is okay as long as you yeah. can handle that um, so, so it's yeah, conflict resolution at that point it is conflict it? resolution and it's just being as articulate as you can be yeah um around the reasons you're there. So yeah, being an external consultant, you can go in, you can run a workshop, you can run a sprint, and just because someone's got really attached to an idea doesn't mean it's the right way through that project or that problem. Yeah, well, there's a lot of cognitive biases that sort of get in the way for people. Yeah, there are. Yeah, someone will have an idea, they'll do a bit of research which confirms their idea, and then yeah. that's the right way to yeah, do it. Straight down that yeah. path. Um, so it's trying to sell that to people as well. Um, that you can get somebody external and to help they're not there just to kind of 
do the grunt work, but to actually help yeah. you do the discovery. Because that comes your unique selling point at that point, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And again, it's only pieces of method strung together and pieces of process strung together to, to help somebody get from A to B on a project, on a, a problem that needs solving. Um, but it does take a fresh pair of eyes. You know, you get that uh, fresh perspective every time you go in and see somebody. You've researched their business, you've planned the workshop you want to do for them. So you know a bit, but you're not an expert. Yeah. So you can go in super fresh, knowing who you're going to go and talk to on day one, and you just go at it. Um, and and you, you achieve the result you need to achieve for them. So we've had quite a few people ask questions um, on the show before about whether you need to be you know formally qualified to mm. become a business owner. So there's kind of this misconception that you know you need to have an MBA because MBAs know how to run a business and they know about economics and finance. And me and Kevin have discussed this at length on the show because neither me or Kevin have formal degrees. No. Uh, we both came close, but we both left our respective institutions before the end. Yeah. So I mean, how do you feel about sort of formal education qualifications? I'm not qualified. I have. I didn't study design. Um, I did a two-year HND, kind of finishing when I was 20. That was 16 years ago. Um, everything else that I have done since then has been off my own back. Um, working at doing work. Yeah. And I think that's something you have to learn is how to do work and you can only learn how to do that by doing work um, there's, I don't there's definitely a space for formal education um, and design qualifications and you know all those things because they will when it's taught by somebody who really knows what they're doing yeah oh you're going to get so much value out of that um, and so much of their hard-won experience and you you really can't put a price on that yeah there's only i think there's probably only so much you can really learn off your own back before it becomes really stressful to keep progressing but you have to do it you yeah. you just have to keep working at working um so i mean that's that's where i've got to from on, on the kind of the, the grafty work side of things in terms of running a business you've got to learn how to do that you need to learn about tax yeah you know that's scary stuff. it's scary stuff but it's not that hard you so know have you, have you incorporated as a limited company no i'm a sole trader sole at the trader. moment i've said to myself that if i get to 18 months and i have enough income that i need to protect myself more i will become a limited company but right now i'm a sole trader um i still see myself as a business not as just a freelancer again big air quotes around that um, because nobody is just a freelancer you are a professional doing professional work yeah but i see myself as a business rather than a kind of a, a hired hand yeah um so yeah you, you have just have to learn those things you need to learn how to get into the routine of keeping your receipts and putting expenses onto your accounting software yeah and learn that you must save 30% of every, every invoice you get paid, take 30%, put it somewhere else. Yeah, that's, that's something we've talked about on the show quite a bit, is yeah. always making sure you provision tax. Yeah. Because uh, that's one person you don't mess around with. You really don't. And it, it's not that hard to do it to the right standard, yeah. but it gets really scary when you, and I, I did find this when I'd, I'd actually underpaid some tax 
in a previous employment and I had letters from HMRC saying you owe us all this tax, it's going to come off your next piece of salary. Um, I never want that to happen again, that didn't feel good. No, it doesn't. It doesn't feel good at all, so you, have to, you need to learn how to be prepared. Um, one, of, one of the best things I ever paid for was a was an actual accountant to do my tax returns yeah, for me. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, and I think so they, they will always, always consider his services to be free. Even yeah. though I, don't, I actually you know, pay him a lot of money at the end of the year because mm. he saves me way more. That's it. They know more about the, the tax space and the accounting space than you will ever know. And, you know, I use free agents to do my bookkeeping and my invoicing. Oh, and it's, it's kind of similar to zero. It's similar to zero, similar to QuickBooks, all that sort of thing. They're yeah. all much of a muchness. Um, but I had to learn how to do that and to, to make sure I invoice on time and yeah. to learn that I must take a deposit before I get started on some work. No matter how enthusiastic I am about getting onto a project, the client hasn't paid to secure the work, they haven't secured the work. Um, and it's all these little things that you must learn that run alongside doing work to actually keep you afloat because it's yeah. your livelihood at the end of the day. And that's uh, one of the big frustrations of any freelancer actually is chasing invoices. I mean, have you, have you had many problems with that or has it been kind of okay so far? Uh, about a couple of late payments, but right now I'm quite trusting of people um, and I like to think I've got a reasonably good instinct for people, yeah. generally, and if if I don't think somebody is going to pay on time, I won't get into the proverbial bed with them at the beginning. If it doesn't feel right at pitch stage, I won't do work with them. Yeah. Um, and that is not because I don't want to do lots of work, but I don't want to make life hard for myself. Um, I'm not in this to make all the money. Yeah, I mean, we interviewed um, a guy called Lars Clint on the show last year, and he, he's actually gone the other way, so he was working for himself, but he's now gone back into full-time employment. Oh, really? And one of the things he was talking about was the, uh, the constant having to chase people down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am insured for that okay. um, as part of my insurance, and that's, that's another business thing. If you're doing a freelancer, get yourself insured, Yeah. because um, if something goes wrong, you need cover. So what kind of policy is that when you're insuring against payment? Um, it's part of the product is that they have a, a chasing team. So okay. if some, it's um, with uh, Jack, I'll send you the link for it. Okay. Um, but they have part, part of their product that if somebody doesn't pay you, you can after a certain amount of time you can engage their chasers right. and they will they release will do the hounds. literally yeah. release the hounds and they'll make sure you get paid interesting okay um, so it goes both ways you know the insurance is to protect me in case something goes wrong on a project but also to make sure that you know businesses know what yeah. to uphold that's kind of like a last resort that you use. total last resort I never want to have to do that yeah. and this is the same with setting up the work I want to work with people who I trust and who trust me. And if some, if I don't think someone's going to pay me on time, um, and it's going to get more difficult the bigger the invoices get, um, I'm probably not going to work with them. Yeah. Because neither is one that hassle. You know, I can stand a couple of days of late payment. You know, if it gets to a Friday and an invoice is due and somebody pays me on Monday, Tuesday next week, yeah, it's not great. But I'm not going to get bent out of shape about it. 
Yeah, I mean, one I find difficult is where you raise an invoice, but their policy is net 30. So you, yeah. have, to, you have to wait 30 days for payment. Yeah, that's it. I mean, as I say, I again, those are the sort of people I might not go and do business with yeah. um, because we want fluidity both ways. Um, I'm still working out the payment terms. Um, you know, deposit first, always deposit first. Yeah. But in terms of the, the lump sum that comes at the end, you know, this is something that people have to learn what works for them and how to communicate that. Because I got to a point where I was going, no, weekly payment. If yeah. it's a big invoice, just pay me some of it weekly. We're going to break it down over the course of the deadline and we'll just we'll do it that way because it keeps my cash flow good and they don't have to worry about paying me, you know, four figures at the end yeah. for something. Um, but it's one of those things you learn. Um, and nothing's ever going to be plain sailing. Something will, I'm sure, go wrong at some point. I'm not expecting this to be roses. Yeah. Um, eventually, something might go south. Really hope it doesn't. But you know, you have to learn to roll with that. And one of the things we discussed on the show before, we kind of talked about sort of mental checklist, checklists, checklists, mm. the things that you need to do before you start running your business. And one of them is about putting sort of safety nets or buffers in place. Yeah, completely. Is that something you'd agree with? Completely. Oh yeah. I'm, I've never done formal contracts before uh, with my own clients um, yeah. it was all very much it was trust based which some people might say is foolish but you know if somebody pays a deposit invoice and we have an email chain agreeing a piece of work that was good enough now I have a contract uh, it's plain English it's not yeah. complicated it's not difficult to understand it's not very long but it protects me and it protects my clients as well yeah. um, we both know what we have to do when we're on a project and it sets us up for doing good work because once that's done, it's done and you do not need to think about it. Yeah. I've found myself, uh, and this is maybe the, the routine thing, it's been a little bit of a mindset shift for me, but my, my, you know, the deposit invoice is paid and the contract's done. I don't think about that side of things until we get to the end of a project. So did you have to get a solicitor or lawyer to draft up contracts for you? No, not at all. No. Um, there is, uh, there's a, more than one really good freelance type contracts on out there that you can get free under Creative Commons. Okay. Um, I use Andy Clark's killer contract. He's he's a, a fantastic designer um, and he's been running his own business for a long time. And he published this free to use contract, which I've taken adjusted to my own needs based on the kind of work that I, that that I will I'll, yeah. get, I'll get it out there and I know other guys that use it as well mm. um, and it's good no one has quibbled you know um, if people don't want me to share the work we're doing we'll write that into our version of that contract okay. you know it's fluid and it's flexible as long as it's signed no one's going to question it and, and means we can just get on and do the good work featured in a live show indeed in a, in a public place indeed uh, so yeah it's the I say it's the little things but as you say mental checklist getting yourself ready to do good work you know making sure you've got all the contact details you need for a client before you start on a project yeah making sure you've got your contract saved making sure you've got your invoice templates set up making sure you're insured making sure you know what tax you need to pay all that stuff um, it's not really hard 
to do these little things mm. it might feel overwhelming and I, I certainly felt quite when I looked at my list uh, and I've made a list like an actual physical list on the wall uh, these things I need to do before I start work yeah and it felt a bit overwhelming because it was all these big things but the more I chip into it and you break each one down into little component tasks it's not that hard anyone can do it you just got to want to do it yeah. Um, until you start digging into IR35 tax laws, <laughs> you just run away. Uh, and, you know, because that, that definitely affects how contracting works. Um, yeah, IR34 is just clarify what it is because a large part of our listener base is from the US. Okay. So IR34 is a, um, I think it was a law that came in on the last Labour government actually, it's to do with having people. Contractors being disguised employees. That's it. Yeah. So if you so you can't you know work for a company for two years as an employee, quit and then come back on Monday as a contractor, using the same benefits, using mm. the same benefits, expenses, and all of that. So it's about so if, if they think you're doing that, then they can charge you back tax to the start of that contract. Yeah. Which can be very expensive. It really can, um, and that's something I was mindful of because when I'd I'd started my engagement as a freelancer I I'd also had in my head I'm gonna do, do contracting for people yeah and it is not the same thing it is absolutely not the same thing contracting puts you onto somebody else's book yeah whereas freelancing you are a consultant you are an outside agent and they are paying you your business mm. um, and when I started digging into it I'd very quickly ruled out contracting for me um, which it now feels very good that I can say, no, I'm not a contractor. Yeah, it's, it's a, one of those things where I always intended to do contracting as part of my business, mm. but I've not had to do that yet, and I'm kind of glad of that. Yeah, it, it gets a bit sticky, especially around the... Contractors can get treated quite badly in companies as well. They really can, because you just become a, a hired hand yeah. to do grunt work, and it's, yeah, it's, not, it's not for me. It's not appealing. It's not appealing at all. Um, I'd much rather be able to go in somewhere as, frankly, as an expert that somebody wants to come and do the work for them. Yeah, I mean, something I had recently, um, I was talking to my accountant, and it kind of, it started worrying me a bit. So I got an email from my accountant saying, we really need to look at VAT registration for you, because you're way over the, the threshold. Mm. I'm like, oh, crap. Because, <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got to start doing, you know, quarterly VAT returns and receipts of what you've paid out versus what you've yeah. received in. So I turned around to my accountant and said, well, 90% of my revenue comes from the US, so I don't charge VAT. Yeah. I was like, what do I do? I'm genuinely confused as to what I do. And he didn't really know either. He's kind of a local accountant. He deals with local businesses. Yeah. So in the end, he had to put me in touch with a VAT specialist. I was like, oh God, this is going to sound, this is going to be really complicated. Mm. But it was actually really good. He goes, well, no, if, you're, if your income comes from the US, which you don't charge VAT on, then that doesn't count towards the VAT threshold. Oh. So when you look at what I actually bring in from the UK or Europe, it's tiny compared to what I bring in from the US because really? most of my customers are in the US. Is that? Yeah, that's interesting. So I don't, I don't have to worry about that. Whereas if I was to do contracting in the UK, yeah, obviously you probably hit the VAT threshold quite quickly. Yeah, as soon as those because uh, those bills rack up, mm. you know those invoices will rack up, and you'll you'll reach a point where you need to start thinking about, as you say, VAT and and, and all that. Yeah, wonderful stuff that if you're not used to doing it or you've not had to embrace that before or if you've been through an agent because uh, I've worked through agencies before who handle a lot of that 
as soon as you have to start thinking about it for yourself, it gets yeah. a bit uh, unwieldy. That's a good point, actually. Would you seek any of your customers through like a recruitment agency, or yeah. is it all personal relationships? Um, so my preference is for personal relationships and referrals, um, just because that's that's me. Yeah. That's what I base my work on. Um, I use, uh, and I'm registered with an agency in Nottingham who deals with design and development recruitment. Okay. I've been on their book for a long time. Um, they're really good people, but they put you in touch with a client and that is their work done. Right. They're a sourcer of people rather than an agent handling your transactions and your bills. Okay. So I'm quite happy with that. So if, that, if any work comes through them, I know it's going to be still my business. Yeah. Um, I would not go back to a recruitment agency because immediately they are very expensive. they're very expensive and that control is gone. Mm. And, you know, we said before that moving into freelance work was all about for me maintaining control of my business and my work. I don't want to put any put myself in a position or my work in a position where that control's gone. So, okay, so we'll, we'll finish off with uh, this question. This is going to sound like a formal job interview now. Yeah. So, where do you see yourself or your business going over the next year to two years? <laughs> That's really interesting um, because I'm not doing the kind of work that I thought I was going to be doing. Um, so my priorities have shifted. Um, my goals as a, as a person and as a business have shifted as well. So over the next um, 12 months, I want to get myself into a place that I would deem to be profitable. Um, and my wife asked me about this the other day. She said, well, what do you mean profitable? Um, and for me, having an extra 50 quid left at the end of the month from some invoice runs, that's profitable. That would feel really good to me that I know that yeah. I am not going to be hitting the bottom of my cash reserve. Um, I've started thinking about how to productize pieces of the work that I do, okay. um, especially around design sprints, discovery workshops, um, and how to package that, because I think there's a, certainly a lot of merit in this gig economy and finding lots of smaller pieces of work. But looking forwards, um, I think I might tire of that. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to explore different ways to okay. to how to make it more than just me. I'm saying just it's terrible. Uh, more than me. Right. Being the, the the face of the business and all things, I would like to see what what could happen if I package something up and put it out into the world that people could buy. And engage, still engage me personally, but um, so you're not with the products as opposed to just services. Yeah, well, not just services, but products as well as services. Products as well as services. Um, exploring that yeah. right now um, because I think it's something that people need, um, and I don't think they know how to get it yet. Right. So that's a big thing. I mean, I've started thinking about content. Same as you, you know, you, you're a, you are a content maker um, and as a business of one, for myself as a freelance designer, it can be quite daunting for people to try and engage me yeah. because they don't know what they're getting. I'm a complete unknown quantity, so I want to demystify that for as many people as possible. I want to make it super clear what they're going to get, how to engage me, how to engage someone else. 
you know um, if I can do pieces of work and put content into the into the wild yeah what's a blog post YouTube channel blog posts video blogs I did a little video blog thing the other day which is the first time I've ever done that okay um, and I'm not in it to kind of get massive engagement or likes or clicks I just wanted to do it to see what would happen okay. um, and I think I'm going to do more of that just short things that break down the barriers between people not knowing what value a freelancer could bring and the skills that a, an experienced designer can bring to their team outside of, please just make us some Photoshop comps. Yeah. Because I'm never gonna offer that to somebody. Right. I'll do it. You know, I've been doing that for a decade, making pictures of websites for people. I'm not gonna offer it outright. Yeah. I, there's more value in the work that I can do for people. So I wanna try and demystify that a little. Okay. Um, and make design accessible. Okay. Uh, so that's kind of a, a longer term goal. So I know you do logo design as well, so I know you've been doing some for my uh, meetup group. Yeah. So is, is, is that a side hustle within the side hustle? Or is it that is a side hustle within okay. the side hustle. Um, I like doing that, especially for community-based events. You know, I've done a lot of work for the Tech Nottingham groups uh, in, in Nottingham, um, and obviously now for your event as well. Yeah. And anything that I can do to it's still work for me and I like that but it's a different type of work yeah. um, and it puts me in a different headspace and I can do it and I enjoy it and it's community based and you know it's a nice thing so it's sort of very small focused projects as well it's a small yeah. focused project and it's, it's things that sometimes I can just chip away at or sometimes I can just blast it in a weekend and it's a, it's a sidestep from yeah. some of the harder work that I might have to do on a client project um, so, yeah, man. Well, thanks. That's been a fascinating, uh, oh, thanks fascinating for, chat. It's been thanks really for having me out to talk. I really appreciate it, and I hope that people considering taking a freelance leap at some point may feel more confident in doing so. Um, something I'm doing, uh, going to start doing, is actually leaving my Skype open okay. of a morning uh, for an hour in the morning. So. I'll, uh, I might send you the details of that. And if anybody does want to talk about freelancing or okay. design or why they might need a freelancer, whether or not they want to come pay me to do work for them, I'm always happy to have a quick well, chat. We'll, we'll put all your contact details in the show notes as well. Yeah, that'd be great. And, uh, yeah, that'd be great. Wonderful. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Cheers, thank you. Great. So thanks to Tom. That was a, a fascinating chat. And it's quite interesting to say, talk to someone who's literally just starting out on their journey to see how they're feeling and how they're dealing with the whole process. Yeah, I think I think sort of Tom's journey and his kind of, it kind of reminds me of me starting out. And I think it comes from a similar sort of, in terms of education, similar sort of background. So I kind of relate to a lot of what's in the interview. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. You know, you're saying that, you know, like a lot of other freelancers, you know, he was actually doing side gigs for quite a while before yeah. Before doing this, he, he didn't just sort of suddenly think, right, I'm going to go work for myself, quit, and then it's like, now what? You know, he, yeah. he'd, he'd been doing like branding logos and design work for quite a while. Yeah, I think he had a plan, which is which is good, isn't it? Yeah. Something else I found as well, just sort of coming out of the chat with Tom, is that there seems to be a common theme here where if you're um, if you're self-employed and you're in your own business, then people like us kind of enjoy Mondays or like Mondays. Yeah. Whereas if I you're did, yeah. a salaried employee then generally people don't like Mondays because, you know, you've got another day back in the office, which I thought was quite amusing. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean, yeah. But he, he seems to reiterate some of the things we've talked about on the show. I mean, the importance of focusing on kind of well-being 
you know, like mental and physical well-being when you're working for yourself? Yeah, I think I think these things definitely they take a while for you to work out a lot of these things. You know, it's it's kind of you, know, you kind of have to learn learn all these sort of things as you go along. You know, just what it means to be on your own and what it means to how you work and where you work and all these kind of things, how you cope with things, how you have breaks and and all these kind of things. It, it takes time, doesn't it, just to find your feet, doesn't it? Yeah, and also you know if you're kind of isolated quite a lot of the time working for yourself. Yeah, the importance of actually sort of getting out and sort of meeting people. Yeah, yeah, sure. All these, all these sort of things are important. Which I guess, you know, Tom gets through doing a lot of his workshops. Okay, so um, when I was with Tom, I also asked him to give some recommendations. Okay. So uh, over to you, Tom. Great. So there's a couple of things that I'd like to recommend people listening. Um, a couple of books. So the first one is Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It's a communication book, it's a management book on the face of it, but it runs way deeper. It is all about how to kind of conduct yourself with people and communicate with them and share with them in a way which is caring, but to the same degree quite frank. Right. Um, I'd read it early last year. Um, in, in an effort to, to try and make myself a better communicator in work because I was leading a team and I needed to motivate people and, and having this kind of, it's got a framework inside it um, which you can learn, you can follow, um, or take pieces from and, and engage people in a way which is uh, hopefully makes you more effective and really communicates what you want in a way which people can understand. It's all about being honest and open as opposed to actually just being horrible to someone. Yeah, there is a very fine line. Yeah, um, the, the first time I heard about that book was actually uh, was on that TV show, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Where one of the characters, I can't remember the character's name, but he was going on about it. He was, just, he was just walking around being really horrible to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that show. I love that show. Um, so yeah, Radical Candor. I, re- I would recommend it as reading to anybody if you are a manager you must read it. Okay. If you are a designer having to work with external clients or internal clients, you must read it. If you just want to learn about how to make yourself heard, you should read it. Right. It's got something for anyone who has to deal with people. Well recommended. Okay. Um, the next one is a book called Make Time by a chap called Jake Knapp and another chap called John Zaratsky. They are most known for writing Sprint, the design Sprint book, um, which is also fantastic, you know, by Sprint. It's really good. But this book's their new book, Make Time, and it's all about finding focus in your life and your work and trying to balance all the things that matter to you. Um, so it's a method, a lot of these books that I read kind of have processes in them, but it's, it's just kind of a sea of tips and tricks and uh, broadly hacks, right. things to do to make yourself more efficient, um, to find what they call laser focus uh, around good work that you want to do and literally making time for the stuff that matters. Um, so if you know that you've got a side hustle that you want to try and achieve, schedule it. You know, if you find yourself distracted by email, take your email off your phone. Yeah. You know, all those things, I mean, just those just kind of two examples, but 
the book is well worth buying. Okay. And there, are, I don't use every piece of advice in there. Some of it, because it's written by two people, it's a little conflicting. What works for one person might not work for somebody else. Um, but I mean, for me, the biggest thing was taking all the distractions off my phone. My iPhone now has five or six apps on it. Right. Okay. Enough that I can use to run my business and phone somebody because it's a phone. <laughs> um, but just using these these uh, tips in make time, I think it's helped me become a little bit more effective, okay. which is really good. Um, and last up, as I mentioned in our chat, uh, Notion, which is a kind of a project management, note-taking, Kanban board, CRM, do okay. all the things tool. It's really flexible. Uh, you can do documents in it. You can do, as I say, you can do Kanban type boards in it. You can have a customer database in it. You can have to-do lists in it. Um, and I started using it in place of Trello because Trello was good, but I found it not quite as fluid and flexible as I needed it to be. And I ended up bolting on other pieces of software to it. So using notes and all that kind of shenanigans. Notions really helped me. Okay. Is it complex to use or is it easy to pick up? It's super easy. Okay. Um, and there's a free tier. So you can use, uh, you know, create a finite amount of stuff and just use it for you. Um, or you can pay for it um, for a pittance. It's like $4 a month or something. Okay. And it Maybe becomes really cheap. private. It is super cheap. Um, and they, one thing I really liked about it was a kind of a gamified uh, setup process right. where you can connect it to a social media account you can share links out and they'll actually give you credit so by the time I paid for it I'd earned myself nearly a year's worth of free credit just referring email addresses to people and things right. so it's great to use and as I say being a freelancer I needed something to keep myself organized and keep all my projects in check this has so far seemed to be the thing which has allowed me to centralize everything that I do Fantastic. So, so that's uh, a tool called Notion. So I'll put links for all of those in the show notes. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. No worries. Great. Thanks for that. Um, I've not actually read Radical Candor. I listened to the summary of it on Blinkist and it is quite a good book. Yeah, I've not, uh, not read that one yet. So that's one for us to check out. And the other book, Make Time by Jake Knapp. That's another one I've added to my list. Yeah, <laughs> even more even more books. Yeah. Even more books. Well, I finished I finished that company company of one book. Oh, now. did you? Oh, how did you yeah. find that? Was that really good? Yeah, really, really good. good. It? It's another perspective, isn't it? I think it's another viewpoint, isn't it? I mean, some some of it is kind of deliberately contrarian. I thought a little bit. I don't know if you thought that or, but no, it's good good read there. Another perspective. It kind of helps justify the reason we do what we do, and the fact yeah. that it's okay not to. Not not to go for hyper growth and scale, you know. Earning yeah. enough is okay. Yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, perhaps also sort of being um, what's the word for it? It's kind of like being deliberate about what you want to achieve and what you want to do, rather than just doing something just because that's what everybody else does. You know, you've yeah. got to be deliberate and you know think about is that what you actually want? What you want? You know. Yeah. So uh, yes, yeah, so that's a good book, and I think I'm going to be adding make time to my. Yeah, that's reading list. That's a good one. So, again, thanks to Tom for giving up his time for the interview, and we will see you all on the next episode in a few weeks. Okay, saying bye.